Hello, and welcome to another White Horse Media presentation. White Horse Media presents Amazing Discoveries with international speaker and best-selling author Steve Wolberg. Our goal is to continue to produce life-changing and biblically-based presentations. We hope you enjoy this series. At the end of this CD, you'll receive more information on this ministry and how you can obtain some additional resources. In today's program, Steve will examine the Scarlet Harlot. Now, here's Steve. Prepare yourself for a big subject. I hope nobody faints and falls out of their seats tonight, but get ready because here we go. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy 3, we're going to be looking at verse 15 in just a few moments. The title is called, The Scarlet Harlot and the Woman in White. As I was thinking about this meeting tonight, I just thought, oh my, oh God, please help me as I share with you what we are about to study tonight. Let's begin with prayer. Fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. Dear Father, Holy Father in heaven, thank you for, for this group of people that has come together here night after night. Thank you that I have a chance to share your word. You have blessed me before. I pray that you will bless me tonight and use me in a simple way to teach the truths that you have inspired in your holy word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The last few weeks we've covered a lot of different subjects, many different topics, and tonight we're gonna talk about the subject of the church. Tonight is church night. It is a fact that there are churches all over America on every continent around the globe. Isn't that true? There are literally hundreds and thousands of different churches in this world. I can just mention a few of them. I'm, I know you're familiar with a lot of them. Uh, just to say it for the record, you know, we know there's the Roman Catholic Church. It's a big church. There are Baptist churches, Methodist churches, Lutheran churches, Seventh-day Adventists, Assemblies of God, Presbyterian, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Pentecostal churches, Church of Christ, Calvary Chapel, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And I personally believe that God has true spirit-filled Christians in all of these churches. I believe God has children all over the globe, all around. But you know, for a lot of folks, as they look at all these different churches in the world, it can become very confusing, can't it? A lot of people are asking themselves these days, as we get closer to the coming of Jesus, they're asking questions about churches, and they're wondering. Here's the question a lot of people are asking up here right on the screen, and that is this. What church, which church of all these different churches is the right church? that I should be a part of as I am preparing myself and getting ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. A lot of people are asking this question, and tonight we hope by the grace of God to try to answer that question from the Holy Bible. Our first text is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Here we go. Paul is writing, and Paul says, but if I tarry long, I'm writing that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in, notice that word, in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the, and what's that next word? Of the truth, right. Now in this passage, Paul is talking about how we should conduct ourselves, and that word there is in the church of God. So based upon that passage, would you agree that God wants all of us to be inside of a certain church? 
that he wants us to be a member of a church? He definitely does. Uh, he wants us all. Now, what church is that? Well, the Bible says that the church of God is the, it's the house of God. It's the church of the living God. Now, it's confusing when you look at all these different churches. There are a lot of churches that claim, they say, we're the church of God. And other churches say, no, you're not. We're the church of God. And you know, so a lot of churches claim to be God's church in this world. Isn't that right? Now, they can't all be God's church. And so how do we know which church is really God's church? They can't all be God's church. Well, I think, again, there's a clue here. When you look at the text at the end of verse 15, the Bible says the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the ground of the, and what's that last word again? The truth. Right. Now, it impresses me as I look at my Bible that God's church is based upon the truth. Now, we're using this Tower of Truth again, and we're going to put different points up here about God's church based upon the Bible. And I think it's clear to all of us that God's church must be a church based upon the book, right? It's got to be based on God's book if it's going to be God's church. And second point is that text right there in 1 Timothy 3.15 tells us God wants us to be in, inside, his church, not anybody, not any man's church. And that church is to be the pillar and the ground of the truth. And the truth is the truth that we find in Scripture. God's church, we might say, is the true church or the truth church. Now, people today join churches for lots of different reasons, don't they? Some people join churches because they just happen to be raised in that church. Some people join churches because their, you know, their parents or their grandparents were part of that church. Other people because they have a lot of friends in a particular church. Some people, they just think, well, you know, there's just a great choir there and the music sounds so good. I love the praise and worship songs. So that's the reason why they become part of that church. Uh, other people because the church happens to have a good pastor, you know, good preacher, and people like to hear the good sermons. Uh, other people join churches because, well, they have a good children's program. If they have kids, you know, they want to make sure the kids are taken care of. And other people join churches because it just happens to be close to where they live, just right around the corner, very convenient, save money on gas. So there's a lot of different reasons why people join churches. And yet, based upon the Bible, if we look at this text in 1 Timothy 3.15, God says he wants us all to be in, I-N, the, the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. God wants us all, me included, to be part of a church where we are listening to the truth, where we're learning the truth, where we're studying the truth, and where we're growing in the truth of Jesus Christ. And I can say, very clearly that that is the truth, right? No question about it. It's right there, very plain in the Bible. And so we go back to our original question. In the light of all these different churches around the world, so many different denominations and religious societies and organizations, many of which all or different ones claim to be the right place for us to be, the question is, how do we know what church is the right church or the truth church for these last days that will help prepare us personally for the coming of Jesus Christ? That's a very important question, isn't it? That's a multi-billion dollar question. Now, now this may surprise you, but there is a way for us to find out the answer to that question. There really is. And 
the method is not opening up the phone book, you know, and trying to find a church. That's not, not the, the right way. And it also isn't visiting all the churches around the world and then trying to find the right one. That's not the best method. There's another way, and that way is actually found through studying the book of Revelation. Shockingly enough, it is true, when you really study, as Revelation 1 verse 1 says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, this book, the last book of the Bible, contains the clues to help us to find God's truth church at the end of time. Okay, let's go to Revelation chapter 12. We're about to embark, you know, as, uh, what is it, that movie, I think it's Star Trek, they say we're going to boldly go where no man has gone before. Have you ever heard that expression? Well, we're going to go, some people have gone before. We're not the only ones, but we're going to go deep. We're going to go deep tonight, and we're going to find out some absolutely shocking, shocking things. Okay, I hope you're ready for this. I hope I'm ready for this. Revelation chapter 12, let's start with the first verse. 12.1, the Bible says, there appeared a great wonder in heaven. John saw this wonder, wondrous thing, a woman. He looked up and saw a woman and she was clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. I call her the woman in white because she's clothed with the sun. Now, who is this woman that is described in Revelation chapter 12? I'm going to try to prove to you tonight that this woman represents God's church, his true church. Now, keep your finger there, and let's go to chapter 19. And let me show you how in chapter 19, verse 7 and 8, this idea of a woman applying to God's church is right here, very clear. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. The Bible says, let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb, that's Jesus, is come and his wife has made herself ready. Now his wife is his church that is making herself ready to be married to the groom, to Christ. Now if you notice in verse eight, verse eight says to her, to this woman, was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of, and what's that next word? Of saints, right. Saints refers to people. And these people here are referred to as his wife and to her. So we have God's church, God's people, that is to be married to Jesus, represented as a woman in the book of Revelation. Do you see that? It's right there in verses 7 and 8. Okay, let's go back to chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, let's look at verse 3. What's happening in this chapter is there's a war going on. Verse 3 says, There appeared another wonder in heaven. After John saw the woman, behold, there was a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. So John sees a woman representing God's true church, and then he sees a dragon, and the devil is making war on God's church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said, on this rock I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But the gates of hell will try. And Satan has been making war on God's church for a long, long time. And a large percentage of this chapter, as you continue to read it, talks about the warfare between the devil against God's church. Now, if you go down to verse 6, verse 6 actually takes in a lot of history. Down to verse 6, this is what it tells us. It says, and the woman, because the devil was after her, the woman fled into what the Bible calls the wilderness 
where she has a place prepared of God that they should feed her there for a thousand two hundred threescore days. 1260 days. And we've talked about this on other nights of this seminar, that in Bible prophecy, a day represents a year. So here's a 1260 year period. And the Bible tells us that the devil is after this woman and she flees into this place referred to as the wilderness during this 1260 year period. And this takes in a whole lot of history. And of course, we don't have time to go into all the details of this history. Nobody knows all the details of this history except God himself. The 1260 year period, as we talked about this before, this used to be what Protestants believed for hundreds of years. This period, as you study this out, started in 538 and ended in the year 1798. Now during that period, it spans the section of history that we refer to as the Dark Ages. And during the Dark Ages, God's church was in hiding. God's church was in the wilderness. God's church was underground because it was being persecuted by the devil. If you look at verse 13, Verse 13 tells us the same thing. Verse 13 says, when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man child. And that man child was Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, if you go back to verse five, that the man was eventually caught up to God into the throne, referring to the ascension of Jesus. And when Jesus escaped the devil, then the devil turned his weapons of warfare against the church, the church of Jesus. And it says there again in verse 13, the dragon saw he was cast to the earth. He persecuted the woman which brought forth the man child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness. There it says it again. Into her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and a half a time from the face of the serpent. A time is a year, times is two years, and a half a time is half a year, and that comes out to three and a half years, which is the same thing as 42 months, the Bible talks about, which is the same thing as 1260 days, and day for a year. Again, it's talking about the same period, 1260 years. And if you were to go, if you were to, you know, be a little mouse in the corner during the dark ages and look around for God's church, it wouldn't be that easy to find God's church. God's church was in hiding. Many, many Christians were up in the mountains. They were in caves. They were in little, little places in northern Italy and southern France, various wilderness areas, little bands of believers, because the big church that was ruling at that time was persecuting the little church, and she had to go underground in order to survive. And there's a lot of history involved in this, but that is what happened. Approximately 50 to 100 million believers in Jesus were put to death during the Dark Ages. God's church was in the wilderness phase described in the book of Revelation. Now, this wilderness period mentioned in verse 6 and in verse 14 was to last for this 1260 day or year period from 538 to 1798. Now, if the church is going to be in the wilderness during this period, then what does that imply will happen at the end of that period? It implies, right, that the church is going to come out of the wilderness. She's going to come up, she's going to come out, and she's going to become visible for the whole world to see. And we're going to be studying about this. Now, how would we recognize this woman who comes up after 1798 visible to the world? Well, there's two ways. Number one, we can look at her characteristics described in the Bible. And number two, we can look at her message that is also described in the Bible. And we're going to see both of those tonight. Now, let's go back to chapter 12 and let's take a look at verse 17. Now, first, we're going to look at the characteristics and then we'll look up the message. Okay, let's take a look. 
Revelation 12, 17 takes us down near the end of time. And the Bible says that the dragon was wroth or wrathful, angry. He's mad as hell with the woman. That's God's church. And then it says he went to make war. Here's a final development of war from the devil against God's church. He goes to make war with the remnant. Notice that expression, the remnant. Now the word remnant basically means, this is in the King James Bible, it means a little bit at the end, the final portion of the woman in white down all the way at the end. She's called the remnant. And it's a remnant of the early church. God's church has always had a continuity and God's gonna have a remnant at the end. And then it says, Notice the characteristics of this woman, the remnant. It says, which do two things. They keep the commandments of God and they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. These are two biblical characteristics of the remnant of the woman in white when she comes out of the wilderness and surfaces down at the end of time. And so if we wanna know how to find God's church in the final days, First of all, we're looking for a remnant. We're looking for a church that is keeping the commandments of God. And point number four up there on the board, that eliminates a lot of folks, a lot of churches. And then point number five is it has to also have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now these are very important characteristics to help us to find God's woman, God's remnant, God's church at the end. Are you following along? Is this making sense so far? Okay, now let's go to chapter 14 because there's a lot more, a lot more. God has given us all kinds of evidence. He wants this to be very, very clear to us so we have no question in our minds. No question. It's not just a, a series of characteristics, but there is also a definite, distinct, unique, global message that is to be preached by God's church down at the end. And this message is found in Revelation chapter 14, verses six through 12. It is the message of the three angels. Three angels' messages. This is one of the most powerful messages in all of the Bible. It's God's final message down at the end. Now let's go through this. Revelation 14, verse six. The Bible says, I saw another angel. John saw an angel flying in the midst of heaven. Now the word angel there is a Greek word. It comes from a Greek word, angelos. And that word literally means messenger. Now it's interesting that that word is the same exact word used in the book of Mark in reference to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was an angelos. He was a messenger. And so this word really applies to people. Uh, this word angel, an angel flying in the midst of heaven doesn't mean that there's gonna be a real angel flying around that's gonna be talking to the world through some kind of a megaphone, but this is God's way of describing his movement, his people who give a final message at the end. I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel. Now the gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the gospel of Jesus and, and the message of Jesus Christ is to be at the very heart, the very soul of God's church. You can't expect God to have a church at the end that's not preaching the gospel of Jesus, right? The message of Christ is the center of God's church that is to be preaching this message down at the end. Okay, let's put the next one up there also. 
three angels' messages. We have the gospel of Jesus to preach to them that dwell upon the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Now, how widespread is this message, these three angels' messages based upon verse 6? This message is worldwide. So we, we need to look for something in the world that is worldwide and that is giving these messages in order for us to see the fulfillment of this prophecy. That's very, very clear. And notice when it says this angel is to preach, that again shows this is talking about people. Jesus said, go to all the world and preach the gospel. He said in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations and then the end will come. And this is talking about a worldwide preaching and the preaching is done by God's church. This woman in white that comes out of the wilderness down at the end. Now notice verse 7. Verse 7 continues and says, saying, he says with a loud voice, very, very clear to the whole world, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come. So here we have another distinct element of the message of God that is to be preached to the whole world, announcing that we're living in a judgment time. This is a special message of God's final church, his remnant church. And then it goes on and says, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Now this is very important. Not only is God's church gonna talk about the judgment, but God's church is gonna be calling people to worship the creator. Now if you look at verse 12 real quick, Verse 12 is the conclusion of these messages. And verse 12 says, here is the patience of the saints. And that's God's church, the saints. Remember in Revelation, we read about the righteousness of the saints. And here's the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now it's very, very significant that when you look at the 10 commandments, there's only one of the commandments that talks about the creator and which one is that? There's only one, it's commandment number four. So the first angel says, worship the creator. The third angel says, keep the commandments. We've already read that the remnant would be keeping the commandments and having the testimony of Jesus. And the only commandment about the creator is the fourth, only one. And, so, and this is actually, verse seven is actually a quote from the fourth commandment. And so what's happening here when you put the pieces together is God is describing a worldwide preaching of a message by his church calling people to follow Jesus, to worship the creator, to keep the Sabbath, to keep all the 10 commandments. This is right there when you really look at it and let it just come right out and speak to your heart. It's very, very plain as we look at it in the Bible. Now let's go down to verse eight. Verse eight is the second angel's message. And this is just shocking. Verse eight says there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So just like the message goes out to the whole world, when the message hits the world, the message finds the world being deceived and misled by this whoever or whatever it is, which is called Babylon. And this is part of the message warning the world about Babylon. Now, what is Babylon anyway? Let's go to chapter 17 and let's try to find out. Revelation chapter 17, let's take a look at verse, verse three. Okay, verse three says, so he carried me away in the spirit, John wrote, 
into the wilderness and I saw, and here's another woman, a woman sitting upon a scarlet colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and 10 horns. John sees this other woman and this woman is not the woman in white. This is a different woman and she's riding upon a beast. Now in verse five, it tells us what her name is. Verse five says, upon her forehead, right there written on her forehead was this name written, mysterious name, mystery, Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Now this is shocking, isn't it? But God's word reveals a, another woman, a second woman, and she's called Babylon the great. She's called a mother of harlots. Now, let me ask you, do you think God gave us this prophecy so that we could understand it? Does he want us to understand what this is talking about? Obviously. So let's try to put the pieces together. If you go down to verse nine, it gives us various clues about this woman. Verse nine says, here is the mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. So here's clue number one. She sits upon seven mountains. Just keep that in mind. That's one clue. If you go back to verse six, we have another clue. I saw the woman and she was drunk with the blood of the saints. She's a persecuting woman and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So that's the second clue. She's been involved with persecution of God's people for a long, long time. Okay, another clue is found in verse 18. Verse 18 continues and says, the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. So here it talks about this woman reigns over kings and she has done this for a long time. That's another clue. And if you go back to verse four, we have a few more little details here. Verse four says, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color. Now it's not meaning that it's wrong to wear red, but these are certain characteristics to help us to understand who this is. She also has, she's decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. She's very, very wealthy. And then it goes on and says, she has a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. She has this golden cup and then it says, upon her forehead was this name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, and she's called the mother, the mother of harlots. This woman is also a mother. Now, if you put the pieces together from everything that we've just studied in Revelation 17, you know, I hate to tell you this, I wouldn't tell you this if it wasn't in the Bible, but there's only one woman, there's only one church when you study history that fits every single one of these biblical characteristics and I think really that we should all be able to see it. Once we put the pieces up there and look around, you know, it's pretty clear, isn't it? But in saying what I'm about to say, I also want you to know that I believe God has true people tonight, true spirit-filled, honest children, and they are a part of this organization, this woman, this church that I'm about to mention. And I've done this before, and so here we go. Let me make the application. The Church of Rome sits right now in Rome and Rome is famous as the city of seven hills. Have you ever heard that? The seven-hilled city of Rome. This is an expression that's been used for, for thousands of years. This church also does refer to itself 
as the mother. If you read the catechism, and I've actually got a copy of this convert's catechism of Catholic doctrine, this is just one of these statements. On page 103 of the catechism, this is what it says that the faithful are supposed to confess. I recognize the Holy Roman Catholic and Apostolic Church to be the mother and the teacher of all the churches. So they claim, you know, they sit on seven hills and they claim to be the mother church. In fact, I don't think there's any other church in the world that specifically says we are the mother church. Now, this is very, very significant, and this also fits the prophecy. Now, as far as the colors, like I said, it's not wrong to wear red, so those of you that are wearing red, you know, don't panic. <laughs> don't panic about this. But these are colors, purple and scarlet, that are identifying characteristics, just like we can see the remnant, so we can also see the woman, this woman, and we can understand who this is. The colors purple and scarlet, these are the exact colors of the cardinals, the leadership of the Church of Rome. And God is doing this to give us clues to help us to know what we're talking about here, what this prophecy is actually saying. And as far as being decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, somebody once said there's more gold in the Vatican than there is in Fort Knox. Uh, there is a lot of gold in Rome. In fact, it's pretty obvious to people that study this that the Roman church is by far, by far, the wealthiest Christian church in the world. And that fits right along with the prophecy. Now, as far as the golden cup, when you go to the Vatican, when you go to St. Peter's Church and they have their high masses, they actually do use a particular golden cup during their communion services. Now that's amazing, but that also lines right up with the clues that we find here in the prophecy. And so when you look at history and study Revelation 17, and this is what, what I'm telling you right now, is what most Protestants, or I could say all Protestants, used to believe for almost 400 years ago until about 100 years ago. Now things have changed, but it used to be the Protestants read this and there was just no question, you know, why do you think they left the church? This is one of the reasons, because they saw it right there in prophecy. Now this cup, let me talk a little more about this cup. This cup, there is a literal cup in Rome, but I also see this as applying to a symbolic cup because if you go back to verse two, at the end of verse two, it talks about how the whole world says the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. And at the end of verse four, it says inside this cup is abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. So that shows us there's all kinds of things inside this cup. And as I've studied this out, I've come to the conclusion that the wine inside the cup refers to the doctrines and the teachings of the Church of Rome. Uh, Jesus used wine to represent teaching. He said new wine must be put in new wineskins. He referred to his own doctrine as new wine and the doctrines of the Pharisees he referred to as old wine. So be, Jesus did use wine to, to represent teachings. Now the Bible says right there in verse two, at the end of the verse, that the inhabitants of the earth, the people of this world, have been made drunk, which means confused. They're drunken or confused with the wine, with the teachings that has come from the church. Inside that cup are the confusing doctrines of the mother church, which have been given to the rest of the world. Now, what are some of these, some of these doctrines? Let me just share with you briefly some of the things that 
We've studied in the seminar. I'm going to put all this together in the light of our study here. Here's the Catechism of the Church of Rome, Geierman's Catechism, and it says here on page 50, question, what day is the Sabbath day? Answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Question, why then do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Answer, we observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church substituted Sunday for Saturday. They did it in history. They claim to have done it. There's just no, no question when you really, really study history, and yet that's not what the Bible says, right? As far as what day God's day is. We read the first angel says, worship the Creator, and then it says, keep the commandments. And the only commandment about the Creator is the one that says the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord, the Bible Sabbath. And this doctrine, this changing of the Bible Sabbath from Saturday into Sunday, brothers and sisters, this is part of the wine that is inside the cup, the cup of Babylon. Now there's some other doctrines I'm gonna look up with you tonight, and there's actually a lot, but we don't have time to go into them all. Another one has to do with the doctrine of the immortal soul. This is their large catechism of the Church of Rome. This was put out in 1994. It's the most official document describing their teachings. And here on page 267, it says here, quote, by virtue of our apostolic authority, this is what the Church of Rome says, we define the following doctrine. The souls of all the saints are already in heaven. In other words, they, they're teaching that the soul is immortal and that when the soul of the saint dies, the soul goes right to heaven. Now, they don't quote a Bible text on this. What they do is they say, we define this by our own apostolic authority. And we spent a whole night studying this in the seminar. And I, we looked up 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54, that says that immortality is conferred only upon believers at the resurrection on the last day. It says that right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54. But this doctrine of the immortal soul, that every soul goes on somewhere after death, which is not what the Bible says, this doctrine is another one of the teachings that is inside of the cup. Now here's another one. This is from the same catechism, and this is page 270. It says, the teaching of the church affirms the existence of hell and its eternity. Immediately after death, the souls of those who die in a state of mortal sin descend into hell. That's what they teach, that as soon as you die, right away you go under the ground and you're burning. Now we studied this out, we had a whole night on this, the hot topic of hell, and we found that in the whole New Testament, there's only one passage that teaches that. And that is the rich man and Lazarus, and we studied all about that and how that was actually a parable. But the rest of the Bible teaches when you die, you're dead, you're asleep, you're waiting for the resurrection, and the fire takes place at the end of the thousand years. In Revelation 20, 2 Peter 3, 7, Matthew 13, 40, there's text after text after text that teaches this. And we also studied about how when the final fire does take place, it's ultimately going to burn up the lost. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 says they'll burn up. Malachi 4 verse 3 says they'll become ashes, they'll be gone. But the Church of Rome says, no, no, no. The Church of Rome says they will burn forever and ever and ever as long as God shall live. And this doctrine, which is so contrary to even our own sense of justice, this doctrine is part of the wine that is inside of the cup. 
Now here's one more that I'll just look at briefly. And we also studied about this. This is on page 319 of the Catechism of the Church of Rome. It says here under the heading of baptism of infants, baptism should take place shortly after birth. Now yet we read in Acts chapter 2 verse 38, Peter said, repent and be baptized right in the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches believers baptism. It doesn't teach the baptism of little tiny babies as soon as they're born. And we spent a whole night studying about this in the seminar. Now go back to Revelation 14 and let's take a look at verse 8. Revelation 14 verse 8. Now look at this. Revelation 14 verse 8. 14 8 says, there followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen that great city because, now notice it says fallen is fallen twice and we'll talk about that because she made all nations, the whole world, drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, her mixture with the world. In other words, the Bible says plainly that the whole world is going to be drinking in these doctrines, these teachings, these concepts that originate inside the cup of the mother church. You see that? And so we have to look at this happening. This has to be fulfilled in order for this prophecy to take place. The whole world is going to be drunk or confused by these doctrines. Now let's go back to Revelation 17, verse 5. Revelation 17, verse 5. Not only is there a mother, but oh my, this mother has children. Revelation 17, verse 5 says, Upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. Now when it says she's the mother, what do mothers do? Mothers have babies, don't they? Mothers have children, don't they? And when it says she's the mother of harlots, that tells us that this woman, this mother, is not the only woman in Revelation. That's on the wrong side but she actually has daughters, the daughters of Babylon, the mother and the daughters. Now, what would the daughters represent? You know, when the Bible says the mother is the mother of harlots, that shows that the daughters are like the mother in a lot of ways. The daughters follow in the footsteps of the mother. Now, this is a shocking thing to say, but it's, it's true that it is a sad fact that when you look at the majority of Christian churches right now around this world, the majority of them are following traditions rather than truth, which has come, these traditions have come from the mother church. The traditions of keeping Sunday instead of the Sabbath. Where did the churches get this today? They got it back there from the mother. That's where it came from, about the immortal soul. Where did they get this? They got it from the mother. The doctrine of, the, of eternal hell. This comes out of the dark ages, friend. They got it from the mother. And this idea of sprinkling rather than baptism by immersion, they got it from the mother. And lots of other doctrines. These doctrines are so deeply ingrained in churches around the world, and most of the time they don't know where they got them from. But the truth is, they got them from the mother. They have just inherited these teachings in history. And just like the mother says that they recognize or they believe that she is the mother and the teacher of all the churches, that is what has happened. The mother has taught these different doctrines which have been incorporated into these different churches. And so the churches that follow the doctrines that are from the mother in the cup 
basically that means that they are the daughters of the mother. They're following the same teachings, the same doctrines. And so this expression, Babylon, applies to both the mother and it also applies to the daughters. It applies to all churches, all around the world. And the Bible says the whole world is drunk. All around the world that accept and follow these basic traditions which are inside the cup, which are not really according, according to the word of God. It's shocking, but it's, but it's true. That's why the Bible says that Babylon has fallen, has fallen. It says it twice because it's talking about the mother and, and the daughters. Now, in saying all of that, and I know I've said a mouthful, and boy, I tell you, it's getting hot up here. In saying what I just said, I want to publicly say that I believe, as I said at the beginning, that God has true Christians in all these different churches. He has true people, sincere people, who are in the mother and who are in the daughters. They love the Lord. They're doing the best they can. I don't teach, you know, that, that anybody inside the mother of the daughters, that they're all lost, that, that none of them are going to heaven. Believe me, I don't, I don't teach that at all. In fact, I'll show you why I don't teach that. If you go to Revelation chapter 18, if you look at verse 4, verse 2 and verse 4, it tells us very, very plainly something extremely important. Revelation 18 is all about the fall of Babylon. And in verse 2, it says, the angel cries mightily with a strong voice and says, Babylon has fallen. She's fallen twice two falls. And then verse 3 says, all the nations have drunk the wine. And then verse 4, notice verse 4. Verse 4 contains a message from God in the last days to the people that are inside the mother and the daughters, and yet who are still his true children. Verse 4 says, I heard another voice, and the voice came down from heaven, and the voice said, come out of her. And then what does it say? my people. Now this has been so helpful to me as I've studied this out. When I look at the mother and I look at the daughters, God says to his true children inside of these organizations, he says, come out of her, my people. Now that tells me that God has true people, his people that are inside the mother and the daughters. Do you see that? This also proves that the mother and the daughters refer to professed Christian churches. Proves that because God says, my people are inside there. They're the right people, but they're in the wrong place. And God has true people in all churches. I believe that with all my heart. And yet this passage tells us that as we get closer to the very end of time, there is gonna be a voice heard from heaven. And it doesn't mean there's gonna be, you know, some megaphone speaking out of the sky. It means God is gonna be talking through preachers, through people like me and through people like you, giving a special message to the world to help them to understand these issues. I heard another voice and the voice came from heaven. How many of us want to go to heaven? I think we all want to go to heaven. So friends, think about this. It's very important if we want to go to heaven that we listen to the voice that comes from heaven right? That we discern. Now, this voice does not come from Steve Wahlberg. It doesn't come from earth. It comes from God. God has a message for his people and God's messages come out. He says, come out. If we find ourselves inside the mother and the daughters, as we get close to the end, as painful as it may be, what does God tell us he wants us to do? He wants us to get out, right? And the reason is, he gives us the reason he says, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins. Partakers of her sins. Now, what does this mean? 
What does it mean to partake? It means to share in. Let's say somebody, you know, comes to a seminar like this and they study all these things and they learn amazing discoveries. When they study Revelation 17, they realize, wow, there's a mother, wow, there's a daughter, they're daughters. And then they learn these different doctrines and they find out, oh my, I can hardly believe it, I'm about to faint. But I've just discovered that I'm part of an organization that is classified as the mother and the daughter or, or one of the daughters. And so they think, what do I do? I'd really like to stay here because I don't want to leave. Now, verse 4 tells us that if we know these things and then we stay inside these churches, God says we will be partaking of her sins. In other words, now that we know if we stay there, we're supporting deception. Do you see that? We're supporting and partaking and going along with the doctrines which are contrary to God's word. And the Lord doesn't want us to do that because if you look at the rest of verse 4, notice what happens. If we continue to partake of her sins, God says that you receive not of her plagues. Wow. That means that those who stay in Babylon who don't come out, they'll share in the sins and they'll also share in the plagues that fall upon Babylon, which we studied about in Revelation chapter 16. If you go down to verse 8 in chapter 18, Revelation 18, 8, the Bible says, Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. God is going to judge Babylon. He's going to judge the mother. He's going to judge the daughters for their doctrines and their teachings, which are confusing people all around the world, sincere people. And God calls us out. And if we don't come out, if we stay in, ultimately, we're going to go down. And that's the reason why the Lord calls us out. Amen? Because he loves us and he doesn't want us to share, to share the fate of Babylon. It's too dangerous. Now, if we come out, then where do we go? What do we do next? Let's go back to chapter 14. Revelation 14. If we come out of Babylon, where do we go? Do we just hang out? Do we have church on a mountain? What do we do? Chapter 14, verse 8 says, There followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And that angel represents people who give a message. That great city, because she made all the nations drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication. That's the second message of the remnant church, of the woman in white. And then verse 9 says, The third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worships the beast and his image and receives his mark in the forehead or in the hand, the same will drink the wine of the wrath of God. And that's when the plagues fall ultimately upon those that get the mark. Now if you go to verse 12, we have the conclusion. Verse 12 says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So the conclusion of the message talks about saints. It talks about people that keep God's commandments. On the one side, we have the remnant preaching about Jesus worldwide, talking about the judgment, about the worship of the Creator, about keeping the commandments, keeping the Sabbath. And then on the other side, we have Babylon, we have the mother and the daughters. And what's happening here in Revelation, God is shocking us by revealing two sides very, very clearly. Now, if we come out of Babylon, where do we go? We go to be part of the remnant, part of the people that are giving the message, enlightening the world, and trying to rescue people's souls away from delusion. 
We have both sides right there. And if you look at it carefully, in verse 8, it talks about Babylon. In verse 12, it talks about saints that keep the commandments. And some people say, well, I really don't want to be in Babylon, but I don't want to keep all the Ten Commandments either. Now, friends, honestly, there's no middle ground. There's verse 8 and there's verse 12. And ultimately, we all have to be on one side or the other, don't we? Uh, some people would like to ride the fence. A friend of mine once said, you can't ride the fence because the devil owns the fence. And that's true. There's no middle ground in the book of Revelation. Ultimately, there's Babylon or there's the remnant. Now, if you go down to verse 14, verse 14 takes place right after the conclusion of the three angels' messages. Verse 14 says, I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sat like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. This is just so powerful. Chills just hit me when I think about this. What you've just read, verses 6 through 12, is the message of the three angels. Verse 14 is the second coming of Jesus Christ. So what's happening here? What's happening is God is revealing to us that these angels representing his church give a worldwide message right before the coming of the Lord. And so we see it there in our Bibles and that's the truth of God's word. It's not the truth of Steve Wahlberg, it's the truth of, of scripture. Those who accept the message come out of Babylon, become part of the saints, keep the commandments and the faith of Jesus and they're ready for the coming of the Lord. That is the truth the truth that we find right here in the Bible. And so we get back to our original question, how do we find God's church, the right church, the truth church down at the end of time? Well, the way to do it is by not visiting all the churches, not by looking in the phone book, but it's by studying Revelation. We're looking for a church that's based upon the Bible, point number one. We're, we wanna be inside that church, the church of the truth. We're looking for a remnant church down at the end. We're looking for a church that keeps the commandments of God, that has the testimony of Jesus, that is giving the three angels messages worldwide, that preaches the good news about Christ, that is talking about the judgment, talking about the worship of the Creator, keeping the Sabbath, calling people out of Babylon, understanding Babylon and its fall, the mother and the daughters, warning about the worship of the beast and the mark, getting the mark, and then urging people to get ready for the coming of the Lord. Those are all biblical characteristics that are revealed in Scripture. Now, if we can find a church, friends, that does, that does all those things, our search is over. Our search is over. We found God's church for the end times, right? Now, maybe we'd like a little more, let's get a little more specific. If you look at verse 7, at the end of verse 7, Revelation 14, 7, it says, Worship him that made the heaven and the earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. That's the message about the Creator. We go down to verse 12, it says, here's the patience of the saints, here are they that keep the commandments of God. Now, if you look at the Ten Commandments again, there's only one commandment that has to do with the worship of the Creator, and that's the one that says the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. So, if we get a little more specific here, we know that this movement, these people must be seventh day people, right? Gotta be, gotta be. Now, if you go down to verse 14, we read once again about the coming of Jesus that says, I looked and behold a white cloud. And so these people are waiting for the coming of the Lord. Now this expression, the coming of Jesus is also referred to as the advent, the advent of Christ. These people are seventh day people and they're waiting for the advent, 
for the coming of Jesus, right? Now we see that in the Bible, don't we? We see it in the Bible, Seventh-day people waiting for the advent of Jesus Christ. So if you just put the pieces together and study the revelation of Jesus Christ found in, in the last book of the Bible, we're looking for a Seventh-day Advent people, right? It's got to be. It's right there in the Bible. Seventh-day Adventist. Wow, amazing. Quite a discovery. Would you like to know the real reason why there is such a movement in this world called Seventh-day Adventist? There's only one reason. The devil has lots of his own reasons. He hates, he's making war on this movement, but the real reason is because of this. I'll tell you why. It's because Jesus Christ, in the book of Revelation, predicted that he would have a remnant movement preaching the three angels' messages, keeping all the commandments, including the Sabbath, about the Creator, and helping people to get ready for the coming of the Lord, Jesus predicted this in the book of Revelation. And if Jesus predicted it in Revelation, friends, it's going to come true. And what we're seeing around us right now is nothing other than the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. The mother is visible, isn't it? If you look at all the characteristics of the mother, we can find out who the mother is. It's the same thing with the remnant. If we look at all the characteristics of the remnant, we can find out and we can know we found out exactly who the remnant is. Now this movement is much bigger than a building. This is a growing worldwide movement. This is an article from Time Magazine, April of 1993, talking about how the Seventh-day Adventist Church, this movement, is the fourth fastest growing church in America. It's in Africa, it's in the Philippines, it's in South America, it's in Russia. Right now, it is literally exploding around this world. Millions of people are hearing what you're hearing. Millions of people are choosing to become a part of this movement. Approximately 2,000 people every day are joining this movement somewhere around the world. There really are only two world churches on planet Earth. One is the Roman Catholic Church and the other one is the Seventh-day Adventist Church. There's only two world churches. Somebody once said, there's three things you can find anywhere in the world. One of them is the Roman Catholic, the second one is the Seventh-day Adventist, and the third one is Coca-Cola. <laughs> you can find one of those three things somewhere around this world. My point is, is that prophecy is being fulfilled tonight. The three angels' messages are here. God's remnant is here. This movement is growing around the world, all over this planet, and it's a, it's a wonderful, amazing discovery to see it in the Bible, to realize it's in the book of Revelation, to realize it comes from Jesus Christ, and to hear the voice from heaven, to hear the call of God urging us to become a part of this movement. Amen? It's a glorious thing. And ultimately, the bottom line is to follow Jesus and to be ready for the coming of the Lord. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast with Steve Wolberg. We feel privileged to be a part of God's commission to share the gospel message with the world. You too can be a part of our gospel outreach team by supporting broadcasts just like these with your financial gifts. We strive to be careful with every dollar that we receive, knowing these donations are sacred gifts to build up God's kingdom of grace and salvation. To find other great resources or to donate online, go to whitehorsemedia.com or you can call us at 1-800-78-BIBLE. That's 1-800-782-4253. You can follow us on Twitter at whitehorse7, 
or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Steve Wolberg. That's Steve, W-O-H-L-B-E-R-G. If you prefer to contact us by mail, write to Whitehorse Media, P.O. Box 130, Priest River, Idaho, 83856. Thanks for your support and may God richly bless your day.